This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It lives in the woods, something evil and hungry from the ages of old. It only feeds once every seven years. But when it gets hungry, it doesn't stop until it's completely full and satiated. It hunts with the stealth of a mountain lion, the speed of a cheetah, and the claws of a grizzly. It will stalk you until the smell of your fear overwhelms it, and then it will attack but you will never see it coming. You will not see anything until it is tearing out your insides and feeding on your warm entrails. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the hide behind a fearsome hungry monster that is said to live in the American forest. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave us an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Floyd Easton was sitting in his tree stand two hours before sunrise. It wasn't technically firearm season for hunting deer for another two weeks, but he always started scouting early. He had three favorite spots where he had set up stands and put out feeders. The feeders he had put out over a month ago to get the deer coming by on a regular basis as they learned to expect the easy food to be there. He had nodded off but woke quickly when he heard leaves rustling. He sat up and listened quietly, watching and waiting. He listened for the typical snorting and grunting sounds that deer make, but he heard nothing like that. Disappointed, he relaxed a little, expecting to hear the sounds of squirrels barking, which either meant a deer may be nearby or that they had spotted him hiding in his stand. He listened for a while, but he didn't hear squirrels either. Something was definitely down there though because every once in a while, he would hear a twig snap and the sounds were getting closer. Starting to feel a little uneasy, Floyd began to regret not bringing his rifle. He had grown up hearing the stories from the older folks in Black Duck about Bigfoot sightings. He was on the fence about whether he believed any of it. 
He cautiously waited until the sun had risen enough to bring some light to the woods before climbing from his stand. His bladder had filled to the point of misery, but he couldn't relieve himself this close to where he hunted, so he hurried through the woods, not concerned with keeping quiet. When he felt he was far enough away, he stopped and unzipped his pants. He was just about finished when he caught sight of a dark figure from the corner of his eye. He jerked his head in that direction and in the process peed on his boot. With a curse, he yanked his zipper back up before taking off again. He heard movement behind him and twigs snapping again. He stopped and turned around again, but still saw nothing. Quickening his steps, he took off, but stopped when he felt a pain slice through his stomach. He looked down and saw that his camouflage jacket had a tear that went all the way through. There was a long cut on his flesh as well, but it wasn't too deep. He couldn't figure out how he had done that. Could a tree branch cut through fabric like that? He didn't think so. He jumped when he heard leaves rustling close by. Floyd slowly unsnapped the sheath that was hooked to his belt and pulled out his hunting knife. He turned and searched the area around him. All he could see in any direction was trees. He knew from experience that just because he didn't see a threat doesn't mean there wasn't one. He had to get out of these woods and quick. His truck was only a hundred yards away. He planned to take off in a dead run and not stop until he was in that truck. But Floyd didn't make it two steps before his feet were yanked out from under him and something flipped him onto his back. He was stunned and the breath was knocked out of him. It took him a few moments to notice the heat coming from his stomach. He reflexively grabbed his belly when the heat was joined by pain. Looking down, Floyd saw his intestines protruding from his body. In a panic, he was trying to shove his insides back where they belonged when a dark shape stepped over his body and stood. Floyd was still alive when this black creature dug its claws deep inside of him, pulled out his bowel, and began to feed. It was time for Emery to get away. 12-hour shifts at the hospital five to six days a week for the past year had taken its toll. She loved being an RN, a title that she had worked hard for, but she needed some time off before she became burned out. A month ago, she had put in for her first week's vacation since she had started her job at Big Fork Valley Hospital a little over a year ago. She clocked out at 6 a.m. on the dot, and even though she was exhausted, the excitement of starting her vacation put a little skip in her step. Mason, her fiancé, was waiting on her with Molly, their Australian shepherd, when she walked out of the hospital. He had the Jeep loaded already. She had insisted on leaving right away, even though she knew she would be tired. Climbing into the Jeep, she gave him a peck on the cheek and said, Let's go. Good morning to you too, Mason said with a smile as he handed her a coffee. Do we need to stop anywhere before we get there? Nope, I have everything I need for now, Emery exclaimed. Her parents had a cabin in Black Duck, and it was less than an hour away. It would only take an hour or so to drive there, 
and they could settle in before Peyton, her best friend, arrived with her boyfriend, Angel. It was going to be a beautiful October day, and they would arrive at the cabin in just enough time to watch the sunrise from the deck. They could go back into town later for supplies, after they unloaded the Jeep and took stock of what was already in the cabin. Her parents had been there a couple of months ago and may have left a few things. The two-bedroom cabin sat back off the road down a long driveway. It's an older cabin that had been added on to by her parents. They had built the second bedroom and added the large back deck and hot tub. There's also a pole shed with electric where they stored two ATVs that they liked to take out on the trails. Inside the cabin was a high-beamed ceiling, a wood-burning fireplace, and a loft where the master bedroom was located. The second bedroom was off to the side of the kitchen. Emery and Mason naturally took the master bedroom. Emery wanted to sit out back and watch the sunrise before unloading the Jeep, but first she went into the kitchen and made them both another cup of coffee. Emery handed Mason his cup of coffee and laughed. Well, I guess we're not the only ones that are going to enjoy our time here this week. They could hear Molly running through the woods giving the squirrels hell. You know, Emery began, it may sound crazy, but for the first time I officially feel like an adult. Mason smiled lovingly at her and reached for her hand. I know what you mean. When we were in school it was all so hectic, and then we both graduated and went straight to work. Having our first vacation makes it seem official. Emory and Mason had met in nursing school, and both graduated as registered nurses at the same time. Emory had landed her job at the hospital one week before Mason had been hired. They had worked in different departments and different shifts for the past year. It had been hard spending so much time apart, but they had made it work. Emory's thoughts began to drift from the past towards their future. She was hoping that they would be able to talk about setting a date for their wedding while they were on vacation. She was about to bring the subject up when she heard a yelp from the woods. It was Molly, and her yelp quickly turned into terrified non-stop yowling. Mason set his coffee down when Emery jumped up, sending hers tumbling onto the deck floor. Molly came running out of the woods before they had a chance to go look for her. She ran straight up the steps and jumped into Mason's lap. What happened, girl? You are shaking like a leaf. Did one of those squirrels take a bite out of you? Let me take a look. Mason comforted her while he inspected her for injuries. Is she okay? Emery asked worriedly. Yeah, I think so. I don't see any nicks or cuts. Something must have just scared the hell out of her. Come on, let's take her inside and build a fire. Emery followed Mason and Molly to the door, but stopped to turn and look back at the woods. A shiver took her by surprise, and she wrapped her arms around her chest. She had a feeling that something or someone was looking back at her. Cultures around the world have an endless supply of folklore monsters that prey upon their victims in the deep, dark, scary woods. So as the song by Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs warns, be careful walking in the spooky old woods alone. Wait, that song was about the big bad wolf. Anyway, there's a creature that is said to be able to disguise itself as well as the big bad wolf. Probably even better. It's called the hide behind. Hide behinds are as elusive as their name suggests, 
and can be found in American folklore. Ever had that strange sensation of being followed while hiking out in the woods? Ever feel like something is watching you from behind? Well then, you may have been stalked by the elusive and predatory hide behind. As if it isn't obvious, this creature got its name by how it stalks its prey, by hiding behind it. It hides behind trees in the forest and stalks its prey as it hides itself amongst the foliage. When the person that it is stalking attempts to look directly at it, the creature hides again behind an object and therefore can't be directly seen. It can accomplish this by sucking in its stomach to a point where it is so slender that it can easily conceal itself behind the trunk of any tree. Whenever its victim would turn its back, it would sneak closer until it was finally close enough to lunge and instantly slice through the abdomen and gouge out the stomach and intestines of the victim. The hide behind would then feed on the warm, raw insides of its kill. Attacks by the hide behind are so quick that even if the victim doesn't die immediately from their wounds, they will most certainly die from shock. The hide behind can be found in American folklore from the 19th century. In North American lumber communities at that time, especially among lumberjacks. Tales about this creature seemed to be spreading. Back then, when working, lumberjacks had a lot to be concerned about, including bodily harm from work injuries, bears, mountain lions, and falling trees, and the hide-behind, of course. The hide-behind's physical description is not totally clear, considering it does an amazing job of hiding and kills so quickly. There are a few, however, who caught a glimpse of the creature and lived to tell about it. It is described as being wraith-like, canine, and in some cases humanoid or ape-like. The body of this monster always seems to be described as slender, making it easier to hide behind many different types of trees. Even without a good eyewitness description, it is safe to assume that it must have long razor-sharp claws due to the type of injuries to its victims. It is speculated due to the many different descriptions given by witnesses that the creature may have some sort of shape-shifting or even chameleon-like ability. Some witnesses have reported that the hide-behind makes odd spooky noises, which could explain many of the noises that are commonly reported near campsites late at night. It is also believed that the hide-behind can go for years without feeding. Some believe it only feeds every seven years because it takes it that long to get hungry after a huge feast on human victims. Being such an elusive creature with some serious predatory skills, how could anyone possibly think of avoiding one? Well, there is a simple answer, but it may not be what you would expect. Multiple witnesses have claimed that the creatures hate the smell of alcohol, to the point that it would leave its prey alone once it caught a whiff of it. So the beast wouldn't exactly like to devour you if you were to fill yourself with wine or beer. Having discovered that, the lumberjacks drank to safeguard themselves if they believed they could be in a hide-behind's hunting territory. However, as you can anticipate, many people use this solution as an excuse to consume more alcohol. Fire appears to be a weapon against the hide-behind in the majority of accounts. In order to keep the animal away from your campsites at night, be sure to have a bonfire lit. But how exactly did this story progress? As was previously noted, these tales were set in logging regions across North America, mostly in the northern states of Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Michigan. 
Large tracts of untamed forest land were still present in these areas in the 19th century. Being a lumberjack in this area required a lot of work, and there were numerous risks to be aware of every day. One hypothesis is that the hide-behind was merely a tail made up to warn people about bears and other dangerous animals that might be hiding out in the woods. Or, on a bigger scale, that this is not an animal-specific threat and is just a more significant reason and a reminder for lumberjacks to always remain cautious in order to avoid susceptibility. Perhaps creating this creature helped the logging camps cope with their anxiety of unintentional deaths, missing men, and lost companions. The first known written account of the hide-behind appears to be from Henry H. Tryon's Fearsome Critters article from 1939, which seemed to support the notion that the creature had rather aggressive behaviors. Tryon's described the creature as a biggish beast, standing about six feet tall and walking erect. The slender body makes it possible to hide completely behind the bole of a 10-inch tree. The pelt is long, thick, and black, and the tail is carried recurved. Looks like a French sheepdog's. Almost impossible to tell if the critter is going or coming, and practically impossible to locate its face, if any. The report also noted that although the creature could conceivably go for seven years without eating, it prefers not to, and is frequently out hunting for new prey. Additionally, it appears that the monster first appeared in early 20th century newspapers and publications, where individuals described hearing it in the woods or catching a fleeting sight of the hide-behind lurking nearby. The Grand Haven Tribune of Michigan reported several eyewitness testimonies from 2000 and 2007, both of which matched those from centuries earlier. This was done in more recent years. However, the witnesses in both of these recent cases asserts that the thing had been somewhat stalking them. Each witness saw a brief glance of the creature, noting that it had flaming red eyes and untamed black fur. Despite not being the most well-known mythical creature, the hide-behind still appears frequently in popular culture, spanning decades of literature, film, and television programs. The subject of Charles H. Snelling's 2006 horror suspense book with the same name is The Hide-Behind in which one of the monsters is encountered by rafters on the middle fork of the Salmon River in Idaho. The animal had an appearance in the film Pecos Bill Catches a Hide Behind, where the cowboy Pecos Bill captured it and gave it to a zoo. In her Young Wizard series, Diane DeWayne refers to the hide behinds. They are portrayed in the anime as being largely little animals, and their use of terror as a weapon against those they stalk. They also appeared in 2016 on J.K. Rowling's new Harry Potter-themed website, Pottermore, where the American version of Hogwarts had a hide-behind. The creature is described in the series as a nocturnal forest-dwelling specter who preys on humanoids. The new edition of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them also contains them. The Gravity Falls Short Dipper's Guide to the Unexplained featured the hide-behind. The creature is portrayed in the series as a thin, humanoid figure that, except for pursuing hikers, seems unremarkable. In Parker Finn's 2018 horror short, The Hide Behind, a lone backpacker lost deep in the forest encounters the creature as it stalks him through the woods. This film is less than 10 minutes long, but I watched it, and it's not too bad. It got at least one jump from me. 
The hide-behinds are despicable beings that care only for sating their endless hunger. Should you ever find yourself in a forest in the USA at night and you feel like you're being watched, look out. There may be a hungry hide-behind stalking you. It was dark by the time Peyton and Angel arrived at the cabin. Peyton stumbled in and fell over onto the couch, yanking off her beanie to expose a mess of blonde curls. Oh my God, you guys! We almost hit something coming up the drive. It was a huge black hairy thing. Peyton whined. Emery rolled her eyes and was about to comment on Peyton's usual inclination to be dramatic, but stopped when the front door opened again. Angel came in, pulling the biggest suitcase Emery had ever seen. Hey, I think Peyton packed her entire closet, he said, feigning a laugh. Emery smiled at him and gestured towards the other bedroom. That is you guys' room over there. I'm glad you guys finally made it. Let me help you with some of that, she offered as she pulled one of the bags off of his shoulder. Mason is in the kitchen making spaghetti if you want to go say hi she told him after laying the bag on the bed. Angel headed to the kitchen and Emery joined Peyton back in the living room. So, you almost hit something, but you didn't get a good look at it? She asked Peyton as she entered the room. Yeah, I was driving because Angel doesn't see that well at night. He needs to get his eyes checked, she said nonchalantly, seemingly over the incident. What do you think it was? Emery asked her. I don't know what it was. But whatever it was, I hope we don't see it again because it was huge, was Peyton's answer. Maybe we can go look for signs of this mysterious creature in the woods tomorrow when we go hiking. But for now, you need to come give me a hug. I haven't seen you in weeks and I've missed you like crazy. Emery ordered as she smiled and reached for Peyton. Peyton stood and gave Emery a long, hard embrace. I have missed you too. The two couples stayed up late catching up and making plans for the next day. They had already planned on a hike but decided to make a day of it and have a picnic lunch out in the woods. Camping and hiking were something they did often back when they were all in school, at least when they had time anyways. They decided it was time for bed when Emery's head rolled over onto Mason's shoulder and she began to snore. I'm surprised she lasted as long as she did, Mason told them. She's been up for over 24 hours. She was just so excited, he laughed. After they said goodnight, Mason picked Emery up and carried her up the stairs to their bed. Normally, she would have protested, but she never even stirred. Downstairs, Peyton and Angel were getting ready for bed when they heard Molly growling from the living room. I wonder what that's all about, Angel said. I'm going to go check on her. Okay, Peyton replied, stifling a yawn. But hurry up. I can't sleep without snuggling up next to your warm body. You mean my hot body? Angel said to her with a wink as he left the room. Angel found Molly standing at the door that led out to the front porch with the hair on her back standing on end. What's wrong, girl? He asked as he patted her back. Do you need to go chase down a raccoon or some other evil forest creature? I tell you what, if you will relax and go get some rest, you can chase them all you want tomorrow. She whimpered as if she understood as she went and laid back down on the rug in front of the fireplace. 
Good girl, Angel said soothingly. Upstairs, Mason had just turned off the bathroom light and was about to crawl into bed next to Emery when he heard a thunk that sounded like it had come from the roof just above the bedroom. He went to look out the window to investigate, even though he had no view of the roof from where the window was located. The house cast a shadow over most of the yard in the moonlight, but he could see a small area next to the back deck. As he was standing there surveying what area he could see, he heard pounding on the roof as if something large was running across it. He turned and looked at the ceiling where the sound was coming from and followed the thumps as they proceeded to stop directly above him. He began trying to open the window so he could stick his head out to try and get a look when something large jumped from the roof and landed in the moonlit part of the backyard. Mason watched as a figure larger than most men walked around the deck and back towards the back door. He noticed something odd about this intruder, though. It looked like it had a tail. He heard Molly as she began barking downstairs, so he instantly headed downstairs hoping that the doors were all locked. They had not brought any kind of weapon, and if there were any in the house, he had no idea where to look. He met Angel coming out of his room as he reached the bottom of the stairs, and just as he was about to speak to tell him what he had seen, the front door suddenly burst open. Standing in the doorway was the same dark figure he had seen jump from the roof and land in the backyard. The two young men were frozen in shock and watched as Molly jumped on the intruder, knocking it backwards onto the porch. Angel ran and closed the door but couldn't lock it because it had busted when the intruder knocked it open. Call 911. I'm going to try to find something to defend us with. Mason ordered as he flipped on the lights and began to search around the living room. Peyton had heard the commotion and had joined them in the living room. What's going on? She asked nervously. Come help me hold the door, Angel ordered from where he was at, standing with his back against the door. They could hear Molly in the front yard growling and snarling, but what was strange was the noises that joined hers. It sounded similar to a grizzly. But Mason knew whatever or whoever that was, it definitely wasn't a bear. The noise had woken Emery as well, and she made her way down the stairs, just as the growling and snarling turned into whimpers, and then quiet. Is that Molly? She asked Mason worriedly. She sounds hurt. We have to go help her. She was about to head for the door when Mason stopped her. Wait, does your dad keep a gun here? he asked. Yes, of course, he comes here to hunt, she told him as she headed across the living room and pushed on a section of the cedar wall, which caused it to pop open, revealing a small arsenal of hunting rifles. Yes, Mason exclaimed as he stepped forward to grab one of the guns. Wait, Emery held her hand out and stopped him. Do you know how to use them? she asked. Mason shook his head and replied, no, but I can figure it out. Before he could grab a gun, Emery had reached into the hidden cabinet and pulled out an old Winchester. My dad taught me to shoot with this. Let's go. I will cover you. She said as she loaded the gun and headed towards the door. Peyton moved aside and Angel opened the door for them while still on the phone with the 911 operator. They found Molly laying in the driveway bloody but still breathing. 
When Mason reached to pet the top of her head, she whimpered and tried to stand up. Easy, girl. Let's get you inside and see how bad it is first. Mason murmured as he slid his hands underneath her and gently picked her up. Emery held the gun upright, ready to fire at anything that might still be out there as Mason carried Molly back into the house. Peyton and Angel moved aside as they made their way back through the front door and into the living room where Mason laid Molly gently on the rug. She refused to lay back down but instead sat up and began licking Mason's face. He inspected every inch of her body. She was covered in cuts, but luckily none of them were too deep. He checked to make sure she had no broken bones, and again luck was on their side. Other than a dozen deep scratches across her face and abdomen, she seemed to be fine. She is going to be okay, he told Emery in relief. Emery, still holding the gun, sighed and squatted down to run her hand down the fur of Molly's neck. Thank you for looking out for us, precious girl. At that moment, headlights ran across the room as a car pulled into the drive. It was an officer from the Black Duck Police Department. They told him what had happened as he listened patiently. He told them it was probably just a black bear, but he would look around. He then made a sweep of the entire front yard before heading around back. Emery, Mason, Peyton, and Angel were sitting on the front porch, waiting for him to return when they heard a blood-curdling scream come from behind the house. Angel and Mason jumped off the porch and ran around the back of the house. Peyton was shaking and about to cry. Will you be okay here by yourself? Emery asked her softly. I need to take this gun around back and make sure the guys don't get hurt. Peyton nodded unconvincingly as she wrapped her arms tightly around her chest before telling Emery to be careful. At the back of the house, Emery found Mason and Angel looking down at the ground where a wide trail of blood led off into the woods. Do you think we should go look for him? Angel asked. No. Mason replied quickly. With that much blood loss, it's too late. We need to get back into the house, barricade the door, and call for help. I have a better idea, Emery added. Let's get in the jeep and get the hell out of here. We can get help in town or call on the way. Good idea, Angel said as he headed back towards the house, followed by Emery and Mason. The sun had begun to rise, and it lit up the front yard with golden rays through the trees. Angel stopped abruptly when he reached the porch and saw a shining pool of blood in front of the doorway. Where is Peyton? He asked Emery frantically. She was right here a minute ago, but... Emery was telling him when she caught movement from the corner of her eye at the edge of the porch. She raised the gun as she turned in that direction. But as she did, she heard a grunt from behind her and turned to see Angel with his midsection sliced completely open. Oh my God, Angel! She was about to run to him when Mason cried out in pain next to her. It all happened so fast. Peyton was missing. Angel was lying on the ground eviscerated. And before her eyes, she watched as Mason was drugged into the woods by something unseen. Emery stood there with a gun in her hand, helpless, shaken, and afraid, not sure what to do next. She didn't know whether to help Angel 
chase after Mason, or to run. She didn't know what this force, creature, or entity may hide behind. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-L-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week for an hour-long episode as we discuss the Doolahan a headless mythological creature known around the world, but originally comes from the Irish folklore. You may know him as the Headless Horseman. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.